right, everybody. Happy Monday, except to you, it's Wednesday. This is Queer Halftime. My name is Becca. I use she, they pronouns, and I'm here with our student, Paige. Hello, I'm Paige. I use they, them pronouns. And Paige has brought along a special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself, guest? Yes. Hello. I'm Paige's little brother, and my name is Shelton. I use he, him pronouns. Perfect. And Shelton, what do you want our lovely listeners to know about you? Well, I'm Scorpio. I'm a fashion student and I love desserts and cute things. And that's about it. Oh, there we go. We got a Scorpio. That's fun. <laughs> that's um, both of the out loud staff are Libras and it causes problems anytime our boss asks us where we want to eat. <laughs> Big problem. It's excellent. Being the Taurus in the group, it's it's great. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, Paige, please just make a decision for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. It won't be the Libras. No, exactly. Um, <laughs> so you're a fashion student. We brought you on to talk about fashion. Um, obviously, in the queer community, fashion is like a pretty big topic because um, it can be used for a lot of different things. Like um, I was thinking when I was thinking about what we want to talk to you about, I was thinking about like, do you know what sumptuary laws were like in history? I do. Yes. Yeah. And like that. And like, you know, royalty wears purple and poor people can only wear these fabrics, like all this. And then like later on cross-dressing laws and like fashion's been used. So for so long, it's like just really reinforce the status quo. Um, And I hope we're getting away from that, but like, what are your thoughts? I think that um, fashion today more so than ever has the power to connect people and to, um, and we have in some places more freedom to uh, express ourselves through our clothing than a lot of people in history had access to. And I think that's a huge gift and that we should, uh, that we should take advantage of that as much as we can, because it's a, it's a, it's a form of art and it's also a form of visual language. And a lot of things are communicated about people by the way they choose to clothe themselves. Absolutely. I love that, especially the visual language bit. (laughs) I find as well that fashion kind of becomes about escapism to an extent within the queer community in the sense that it kind of allows individuals to create their own like worlds and just like different varieties of fashion. Mm -hmm. No, I would agree with that. I think that, um, well, as you mentioned earlier, Becca, like things like sumptuary laws and cross-dressing laws have had a huge um basically fashion has been something that's been uh, enforced like the term fashion police comes from actual fashion policing where people were yeah facing arrests and legal prosecution by the state for the garments that they put on their bodies and um there's there's a bit of this precedent of of uh how do you put it like rebellion that comes along with queer clothing and queer dress. And I think that, um, you know, there's a enforcing the binary has uh, is a political goal and that, uh, you know, living outside of a binary or being gender nonconforming is something that because of that goal of the state is kind of inherently political, but it's also as apolitical as you choose for it to be. <laughs> cast their politics onto you. For sure. Yeah. It's one of those, like, is it political or has it been politicized by people? Yes. Right? Like, yes. 
yeah, I definitely noticed my own dressing. Like I'm chilly today, so it's pretty, pretty calm. Mm -hmm. Um, Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But I noticed like since kind of growing up and coming out as queer and stuff, my fashion has done like a 180 from me being like, oh, I'm a girl. Girls are supposed to dress like this. So I'll wear this like preppy whatever stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I find that a lot of queer people, um, and I'm sure you two can relate as well, and I'd love to hear about your experiences with it, but the way that using your own clothing can be a tool in understanding your own identity is really interesting. Like I, sometimes I like to joke that I've been through like every label in the book before I landed on the ones that I landed on today, as far as like um, gender and sexual identity go. And for me, clothing was a really, really helpful tool in and identifying what how I felt comfortable how I felt like myself so you know when I first started to uh, explore my gender identity um I was I was like conflicted because I thought okay well I'm really into a lot of traditionally feminine things I'm really into pink I'm really into ruffle I'm really into like full silhouettes and I love all these things that are very traditionally girly so how does this, is there space for me to live as a man if I love all of these things? Can I continue to love these things if I want to be taken seriously in male spaces? And can I, uh, you know, how do I navigate that sort of thing? And for me, fashion was a tool in finding the, for me, it was powerful to accept my own, like, traditionally feminine interests and and let those be, uh, inform the kind of masculine individual that I want to be and and that I am today and to still you know have those things and enjoy those things and express them in uh, both my dress and in the kinds of clothing I want to make and uh, I'm really interested in exploring the uh, the feminine side of androgyny because I think that masculine and feminine are not real things because they're so fluid every decade something different every century they're unfamiliar from each other so uh yeah I think that they're very fluid things and I like I like to see other queer people that are that are testing these things and and experimenting with them it's like a playground yeah absolutely I mean you look through history and like men did not wear pants until you know the last few hundred years it was skirts and then tights and like at heels and yeah Mm -hmm. it's all pretty arbitrary the whole masculine and feminine (laughs) (laughs) very arbitrary yeah yeah and I feel like I kind of came at the femininity thing sort of from the opposite way of you Mm -hmm. almost because when I first came out I was like oh I'm a queer woman that means I have to dress like super mask and like wear snapbacks all the time and flannel and stuff and I'm like no skirts and pink and like everything is pink except for my clothes which are all black Um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like feminine things are not bad right and like Mm -hmm. dressing for or against or whatever your gender is like I feel like we're so put into these boxes of what you should and shouldn't look like and just that kind of self-exploration of like who am I (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely well and there was one thing that I was actually texting Sheldon about a couple of days ago Um, my dad is getting married this upcoming December and I've been putting a lot of thought into what I want to wear because I'm not out to a vast majority of that side of my family Um, and the idea came to me that 
oh my God, I think I want to wear a suit to my dad's wedding. Um, and so of course I, the first thing I did, I texted Shelton. I was like, Hey, so I have this idea and I need your opinion on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just having come to that realization and being able to express myself in that way, I think is going to be really exciting. It'll be weird for my family members, I think, but that's not my problem. So I <laughs> don't really care. Um, but <laughs> hey, yo, you and I, yeah, no, out. I think you and I've been weirding out our family members since day one. So what else is new? <laughs> this is also very true. It's kind of the standard at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, but yeah. I think that what you were saying, Shelton, in the way that you're like the way that you like dress yourself and express yourself, like it really can put a lot um into your gender identity you know what I mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what I said to you in response to that was something along the lines of like if you think that you want to do it just do it and don't think about it anymore and I th- exactly I think that would be what I would say to anyone who is like struggling with uh figuring out like oh but should I wear this should I not wear this I really think that the only metric you should uh you should decide how to clothe yourself by is is the one of if you feel like it if you want it and and it and don't it doesn't have to be any deeper than that other people may think it's deep other people may think it implies a bunch of things but you don't really have to worry about that because like literally no matter what you put on some everyone will think something about it but it doesn't make it your business what they think you walk out and you're like exactly I look like a bad bitch I'm slaying today (laughs) (laughs) exactly Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Yeah. And once you kind of realize that like, it's all fake, you can kind of play with it more freely too. Like I've got like my pink scrunchie and everything, but like when we went out to lunch a couple hours ago, I put like a little card holder in my back pocket. And I was like, Paige, look at me. I'm so mad. Wallet Wallet in the back pocket. (laughs) It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So you just, you get to play more. Right. And I feel like it's so much more fun than a lot of people make it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's super fun getting like it's dress up. Like I get to put little clothes on my little avatar and I go, hee hee, those look nice. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also love the way that different, uh, I love seeing the way that people identify themselves through their clothing, specifically being like, yeah, like the card holder for you. You're like, look at me. I'm having like my mask moment. Like I love these <laughs> little, like these little queer joys about like, oh yeah, this is something that for me is like really affirming and it can be, it can be anything from like, oh, I think that this collar is really over the top and like really big. It makes me feel like so mask right now. And uh, I love the way that people find their own, uh, like the, how they identify with things and what different pieces of clothing, what different silhouettes mean to people is really fun. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like it's, I feel like fashion is like an extension of like any art really in that it should be for making a statement or for play or for like just being free and like whatever you want it to be and not this like prescribed thing because like we force it on kids so early oh my god like I remember when I was a nanny and like I would be getting this kid dressed and like she was seven and like in the summer like these incredibly short shorts because that's all they sold for girls right or like just these like very adult clothes and I'm like this seems I don't know this is not (laughs) is this necessary right wait a second here (laughs) yeah one actually very interesting shift that has happened in um 
marketing and in different clothing categories uh, over the last 50 years is um, there are, so there's different like garment categories and different target markets that exist. And a hundred years ago for dressing like women, there was like, okay, there's, there's, well, maybe there's three. So there's, there's children's dress, which is its own mm-hmm. thing. And children wear this thing. And it doesn't look like what teenagers wear. And it doesn't look like what adults wear. And then there was the mm-hmm. kind of the same thing where teenagers had their own. And this came with the rise of the teenagers, uh, the teenage yeah. group from like the 60s, from youth movements and youth culture starting. It's okay, teenagers wear this. And it's different from what children wear. It's different from adults wear. And then same thing with adults. Adults wear this it's different and it has different functions and different conventions. But uh, in today's fashion, there are like five-year-olds who are wearing like the same outfit as their parents. And yeah. this blending of, of like age range or like what, um, what is anticipated for children to wear, like, you know, go to the sixties and you dress up uh a little girl in like something that her mother is wearing it's like what is why is she wearing that? 100 percent. yeah there were like prescribed things of like this is what young girls wear this is what like teenagers and young unmarried women wear this is what you wear like in your adult life once you get married and like until you're old like it's this 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 very like proceed through the stages and now it's like oh you have crop tops too that's cool <laughs> yeah there's a there there used to be a lot of rigidity that is not there anymore. Yeah. I think that, you know, that's neither a necessarily positive or a necessarily negative thing. It's just kind of something that's happening. But I, I hope that it reflects uh, the shift of the rigidity of like gender categories for clothing also mm-hmm. becoming a lot like dissolving the rigidity of those and dissolving like strict men's versus women's clothing, like like clothing categories at all when I look at my classmates I would say at least and that's being generous like it's definitely more than that at least half of my classmates are not really interested in making men's or women's clothing and like this is like lots of cishat people too like they're like oh I don't really I don't really care if the person that wears it is a woman or a man it's not really relevant to my design I don't know so everyone like a huge amount of the fashion students that I'm studying with are interested in making exclusively genderless clothing, which I think is really exciting. That's really cool. Like I remember a couple of years ago, Celine Dion came out with like a genderless like line of clothes and people lost their minds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it takes people out, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we want so badly to put people in boxes that when like the boxes are taken away, we're like, what do I do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I think that that comes out of a place of people um, being very used to. Um, there's a certain comfort that comes from knowing exactly how you're supposed to look and how you're supposed mm-hmm. to present yourself. That people who fall within like privileged groups are unaware that they're experiencing. I think it's once you've been forced, once it has been made clear to you by the world that you don't actually fit into the role that you are supposed to. So basically, if you're not like a cis fat white person with like a decent amount of money, you are uh, those rules that are not very helpful for you. They're not mm-hmm. very, uh, the expectations aren't so clear as to how you're supposed to dress to be perceived as respectable because 
you're already kind of not going to be perceived by some people as respectable regardless. Absolutely. I think that that mm -hmm. for a lot of people is where the like queer freedom to dress any which way comes from. It's like, well, damned if you do, damned if you don't. <laughs> Let's have a little yeah, fun. Most definitely. Yeah, like it can be really freeing, like we've talked about, but like I can also see it being pretty terrifying for people of like, I, the rules are gone. What do I do? I've followed these rules my whole life. Like, where do I go? And now? I think, mm -hmm. I think Becca, that's why I kind of struggled a little bit when I came to that realization of wanting to wear a suit to my dad's wedding was because being uh, brought up Mormon, like those gender roles are so enforced and so just like part of your daily life. So coming to that realization, I was really like, shook about it because it was just something that's completely different from how I've been brought up and how I've really been presenting myself my whole life mm -hmm. yeah but yeah gender norms are hardcore they are not a minor thing they're they inform exactly they're supposed to inform the way that you interact with other people is the idea but you know I think that I'm assuming that the three of us would question whether or not that's helpful at all <laughs> yeah. absolutely well, yes especially when you add like the idea that they are ascribed by a higher power, mm -hmm. like that just makes them even more like, I don't know, terrifyingly rigid. Daunting to look in the face of. <laughs> oh my goodness, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like we've joked about me going to Catholic school, but I cannot, Mormonism is a whole other level. <laughs> it's hardcore, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, something else. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Were you guys like the really the fundamentalist kind of ones or like? Thankfully, no. Okay. Thankfully, no. Okay. We were, uh, lived relatively normal lives. It just involved a lot of church. Fair. A I lot would, of I church. Say, yeah, definitely. I'd say it was relatively normal. Just, you know. <laughs> Outside of the church component. Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Our parents weren't yeah. too hardcore. So it was like. You know, we weren't like some of the families who it was like, like three times daily family prayer. Like, <laughs> I mean, God. Shelton and I are both trans and. Um... Oh my God, are you trans? <laughs> oh my God, do you know I'm trans? <laughs> <laughs> so just being that those people in the family, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. those people I use very lightly <laughs> to clarify. <laughs> There's that joke about like, if you don't have a queer cousin, you are the queer cousin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I remember reading that when I was like, 16 and I was like I actually don't think I have a queer cousin and then like two years later I was like oh uh, the internet was right <laughs> Twitter called it it all makes sense now <laughs> <laughs> yeah I remember first reading that before I was like totally like honest with myself yet and I was like hmm I'm going to ignore that next <laughs> exactly yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, like back in the Tumblr era. Exactly. <laughs> you say that like I'm not still on it. <laughs> Me too. It is daily. Amazing. Wow. Now that's another interesting piece of of current queer fashion and fashion in general and its connectivity is the internet has changed so much mm. for fashion, both for the industry and for just the individual uh there is this huge interconnectivity and this huge ability to like access different types of visual styles and like yeah 
and you know so i think that there's like a huge uh subculture movement right now within fashion people are feeling a lot of uh excitement about trying to find a, a subculture to join yeah i mean i think about like cottage core and like all these different like yeah like little niche mm-hmm. style movements and like aesthetic movements mm-hmm. um yeah and you're right i think the internet has a huge part in that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah there's this uh also with the internet a lot of longing for things that come from before the internet so mm. i also have noticed a huge interest within like within like my age range of people who are interested now in archive fashion and in vintage designer and yeah. and in being part of the history and legacy of different fashion labels and of different designers like uh I don't know I think I think it's really cool to be into archive fashion to be an archive fashion like person and uh and to like know all like the history of your clothing mm-hmm. and like specifically like oh well this is this jacket and it was part of this collection which had this main ideology to express and so I am continuing on the uh, the message of this collection from 20 years ago because it resonates with me and I think that mm-hmm. finding that much meaning in your clothing is really beautiful and I think that if we could move towards the place where everyone found their clothing really meaningful it would help them not only to feel comfortable in their clothing and to not need to feel like insecure in what they're wearing regardless but also that it would help reduce this like desperate consumption of just like seeking yes through just constant constant purchasing yeah like I think especially with vintage fashion because I also am like a big fan of it um is like there's a uniqueness but there's also like your clothes were custom like they're well made they're gonna last like and they're unique to you and what you like and not you know part of some fast fashion thing where they're gonna have new designs in three days Mm -hmm. right and like everybody's just kind of in a way looks the same yes um and yeah like I'm just I think like oh I can't remember who it was but did the what was it the new shape or new dress or whatever it's called from the 50s. that had that very 50s yeah the 50s yeah. silhouette case. the yeah. dior new look dior thank you the new look i was like the new deal no that's not it it's the new something <laughs> new green deal is that it <laughs> we love a new green deal um <laughs> but yeah like things like that and knowing this history of like why was that so popular and like i absolutely love it um uh, but i also really love this current like thing of people getting really really experimental like I don't know if you two are on TikTok very much but there's this one woman who's like you know get dressed with me and then she'll be like so I found this bag of hinges at the flea market and so I sewed some onto this blazer and I braided these door hinges into my hair (laughs) it's incredible I'm like you're nuts and I love it yeah oh my god amazing (laughs) No, I love that. I respect people that that so much. Like there's a couple people mm-hmm. that, yeah, their styling is just so like sensational and it's like yeah. outrageous and it's not always in good taste and it's so <laughs> exciting. And you can just see in their faces while they talk about how excited and how like how sincere mm-hmm. it is. And man, imagine if we could all get that much joy just from the act of getting dressed every day. Like, right. I want that for everyone. Serotonin. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> and like, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but like, I think about kind of some of the more recent like runways that we've been seeing and how every yeah. once in a while companies will hire models that look a little bit more like, you know, the people who are buying their clothes. Like I think specifically, I can't remember who it was, but there was a model with Down syndrome several years ago. Um, or then you have like Winnie Harlow, mm-hmm. who, um, what did we decide it was called? Vitiligo? Vitiligo. Vitil- Vitiligo, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then just aren't, I mean, she's still very much is like a supermodel, but like just these little differences that show like how unique we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. And like that's being, I feel like that's being shut out a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a slow, like a, a massive, massive industry like fashion takes a long time to change. Um, despite how cutting edge sometimes we like to romanticize it as being, it is still mainly dominated by people whose main interest is money, money, money. Um, mm-hmm. So change mm-hmm. is sometimes slow and painful, but like with any medium, you have the people who are, you know, there for the money and you also have the people who are there for for change and it's and it's young designers and it's independent designers who are uh, who are trailblazing these kinds of things of inclusivity and of diversity and like not just mm-hmm. saying it but like meaning it <laughs> like you can say that your label is you know as inclusive as you want but like if you're not actually like if the biggest size you're putting on a runway is a size 12 like you're not you don't mean it yeah and if you don't exactly. make above a size 16, like, do you mean it? Like, <laughs> of course, it's really, there There are challenges to producing mm-hmm. wide uh, size ranges collection, but like, these are, these are challenges that like, maybe small designers are not always able to overcome, but you can, mm-hmm. it's, when you look past just like surface level and past marketing, it's, it becomes quite clear quite quickly who, who means the stuff that their marketing teams is saying and, and like, Mm-hmm. yeah like if I have to try on one more button-down shirt that's meant for like people with my size and my chest size but the designer clearly has never heard of darts yeah I'm gonna lose my mind <laughs> <laughs> literally yes <laughs> yeah and this is one thing with size that I think needs to change within uh production conventions also is not not everyone when they are sizing up there, like when you when you design a garment and you're doing the pattern making to change the size is called grading so you do pattern grading but what needs to change in my opinion while you do pattern grading is not just usually you just like add like anywhere from like two to four centimeters to the hip per size up and then for higher size it's like add five centimeters per size up to hip but we also I think we need to be thinking about the shape of the human body yeah. and the ways that like you know a person who is a size eight and a person who is size 16 are not just, oh, this is just a bigger version of the size eight bodies. Like this is, mm-hmm. bodies carry weight differently and they are shaped differently at different sizes and all bodies are shaped differently. Every size eight body is a different shape also. So mm-hmm. I think that if people, you know, this is like not have to do with gender or anything. This is just one of my thoughts about- Go for it. <laughs> building production should be like, it shouldn't be an afterthought the way that it goes on a body mm-hmm. not everything yeah. is ready to wear some of it's editorial and it's only like for the runway and only for photo shoots but a lot of most clothing that's produced to produced to be worn so why why make the body an afterthought the body should be the only thought is is clothing the body making the body comfortable making the wearer comfortable so 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, this looks great on a hanger and is designed to look great on a hanger, but then you put it on and it's like a tent because they don't know what to do with boobs that are over a B. <laughs> Why is everyone Literally. so confused about what to do with breasts in a dress? Like, <laughs> I've been asking the same question for, you know, almost 28 years, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, even recently I was out shopping and I was looking at like men's button up shirts, like just like beach you know like dad beach type of shirts (laughs) yeah of course but like I would I would try them on and they would fit perfectly and being a larger chested individual they would fit everywhere except for the chest Mm -hmm. and no matter how big I went in sizes like I think I tried on up to a triple xl and it's still like everything else fit me perfectly except for the chest area Mm -hmm. and like it was just very frustrating experience because I have the same experience shopping in women's clothing, you know, and it's just like Becca said, nobody knows what to do with boobs over a size B. (laughs) It's true. I think that um, to relate it more to like uh, gender and yeah, please do is uh, I think that the way that clothing is produced hopefully is going to be changing within my generation of fashion designers because Absolutely. The way things start right now, at least the way that we are taught, the foundation that is being built upon is of you learn how to make women's clothing and you use a women's block and it is shaped this way. And you use a men's block to make men's clothing and it is shaped this way. And when you put them side by side, it it to me reads as a caricature of what a female and a male body look like. Like the female body is very tucked in at the waist with round hips and like space for the breasts. And the male body is like broad shoulders, trim waist. And it like, literally it looks like, I don't know, you see those memes where they're like really, really reductive human body shapes where you'll see like an hourglass beside one, an hourglass beside just like a glass of water and people were like ah oh, this is like the female male bathroom signs like it, they're it's so comedic how yeah. simple we make those shapes out to be as what is the stereotype when you actually just put like a hundred naked people beside each other the amount of differences it between like a female or a male body is so arbitrary like any yeah. binary is that like I hope that in the next 20 years we don't necessarily need women's versus men's blocks quite so much so that the shape isn't so like comically binary comically you know little waist big butt and strong shoulders man like yeah it's like the (laughs) the like marvel superhero like dorito man exactly oh my goodness yes (laughs) Yeah. yeah, where he's like an inverted triangle. <laughs> exactly. And the woman is a, a skirt. <laughs> like Yeah, is like, yeah, two triangles. Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree completely. And like I'm really loving seeing kind of a rise of like and I've noticed this especially is common in like slow fashion and like sort of more environmentally friendly is like also custom sizing. Yes. And it's mm-hmm. like I'm paying, you know, quite a bit more, but I'm going to have this dress for, you know, the next 10 years and it fits me perfectly. And it's made of, you know, not plastic and things. Um, And so I've seen kind of more of that taking off as well, which is really exciting for me. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that the, the move to slow fashion is a really positive one. And 
that it's uh it it's been so successful for some people in some ways that it's like causing like the luxury fashion world to like stop and look at it and be like how, how we well we're doing that like luxury fashion a lot of it like when you get past like a certain price range like a lot of it is custom to some extent they're looking at it and they're like wait a minute you're telling me that the middle class people are onto us that like they're doing that too now and like some people are even doing it in a way that it's accessible to like lower class people wait wait, wait a minute this really this challenges them it scares them because for a lot of history at least in the the western tradition of binary thinking about gender is even less than 100 years old in some ways or about 100% about 100 to 200 years old because clothing and the fancifulness of it was primarily related to class like clothing had to say a lot more about your class and where you were in the world economically uh as opposed to like being male or female like the the elaborate ornate details were expected of both women's and men's dress of high society in the western world for a long time and like men's garments and women's garments were equally ornate lots of lace lots of fine finishings beautiful florals vibrant colors mm -hmm. like really decadent kind of indulgent things uh, like French yeah. court, like pre-French revolution comes to mind. Oh, of course. yes. Yeah. <laughs> One of my absolute aesthetic weaknesses. Oh my God. It just, I just weaken the knees anytime I look at any of it. I love it so much visually, despite the ideological implications. Oh, but... it's all good. I'm a sucker for like a really gorgeous, like Edwardian mm. kind of like ball gown. I'm like, ah, mm -hmm. oh, give me like some worth gowns. And yes. I'm, I'm happy. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it wasn't starting to be until like the like late in 1800s like there's like a couple of like big changes in fashion that happen and especially like neoclassicalism is when uh people start to really pare down and that is when decadence is really like dropped off like elaborate things things are pared down to be a lot more simple and a lot more um focus on uh you know it was this it was this time of revisiting uh like like yeah like neoclassicalism classicalism again of like these old kind of shapes and forms and the only problem is that when we started to come back out of that again with uh with romanticism was that at that point it was decided that uh florals and bright vibrant colors and lace and trim was exclusively the woman's domain and that fashion and aesthetics and grooming to an extent was now just for women and then that's why like men's clothing when you look at like a historical timeline of what men's clothing has looked like over history there is there are certain conventions but the convention really starts then and it does not stop yeah today. yeah it's like super fancy and colorful and then it just like drops off and I've noticed recently a trend that I'm loving is like seeing red carpets is like certain male celebrities and it's usually men of color mm -hmm. getting back into like different fabrics and patterns and colors. Right. Um, and just getting more experimental with it the way it should be. Right. And not just every guy has to wear a black tux. Like <laughs> exactly. Literally, this is there are other colors. <laughs> there are other colors. Navy blue is not as good as you think it is. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have strong feelings about navy blue. I will not get into them because it's ridiculous. But um, oh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that oh, where was I going with this? We were talking about uh, men's clothing and men's fashion. Oh yeah, this is part of my inspiration also for making clothing is that I think that a lot of men kind of are waiting to be given permission to mm-hmm. experiment and to start to try new things. And I think that a lot of people want very much to explore and to have fun with their clothing and that they are, they're shy or they're feeling a little bit scared to do so. And I think that I would be excited to help people discover this side of themselves. My, you know, one of my like grand ideological goals is that like, the clothes that I make can hopefully influence people of any gender, but I think that men need a little more help with this than most. They need uh, a little push. They, they, they need a little, a little, they feel like they need permission, but like they're not realizing 100%. that they're the ones that need yeah. to give themselves permission. So I hope to make garments that can encourage people to express themselves and to feel, feel joy from their clothing and have it be not just a utilitarian thing. hundred percent. Yeah. I think you really hit the nail on the head with like, they almost need permission. Mm-hmm. right Absolutely. because I've known a couple men like some of them queer some of them straight where like they'll start off with like oh I painted my nails and like it was this huge thing and then you know you'll see them a month later and suddenly they've got like eyeliner mm-hmm. and I'm like it's just this slow little thing of like them exploring and be like oh this is actually really cool and I love it this is actually fun yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that people feel like they need permission to have fun with their clothing because, mm-hmm. you know, shockingly, following a prescribed expectation for how you should dress doesn't usually make you feel that excited about clothing. And mm-hmm. uh, once you kind of give yourself freedom to step outside of what is expected of you, that you start to discover a lot more fun and you start to discover a lot more of your tastes are interesting. Like I never really thought that hard about what kind of colors I think look good on me. But now that I've been experimenting, like, Oh my God, I only ever want to wear this color again. Cause it just feels so much like me. And I think that, and not for everyone in some ways, clothing can be used to uh, finding uniformity in clothing is really freeing for some people. Like if you commit to a capsule wardrobe or to a uniform, you know, some people have the idea of fashion that's kind of an anti-fashion uh, idea that it was born mainly out of Japanese designers in the 80s, like Yoji Yamamoto and uh, Rei Kawakubo, uh, Isemiyake to some extent also, like these like anti-fashion designers who started to put forward this uh, mainly all black, somewhat uniform, like these collections that that were really define what people were expecting. They were also very androgynous and very gender neutral. And um, there's some people today that still follow like these ideologies really strongly. And they have this anti-fashion approach where they close themselves in the same outfit every day. So they just have like two of every item of clothing or one of every item of clothing. And they just wear that every day. And for them, that's freedom because they've taken themselves out of needing to think about it. And for them, that's freeing. And then there's other folks who have the opposite where they, uh, the freedom for them comes from having every kind of color, cut, shape, material in their wardrobe and to be allowed to exchange them in and out any day, depending on what they feel like is uh, is that moment. I think that when clothing can become something that is freeing and fun, 
is uh, is when you is when you've like broken through that expectation but it can be a scary step to take to leave the binary absolutely yeah and um i'm just kind of keeping an eye on time here Paige, do you have any other questions you wanted to get to um let me just take a look at my list i think we've covered everything that i had written down God, it's yeah, like we're professionals. You... <laughs> <laughs> Shelton, is there anything else you wanted to touch on that we didn't get to? Hmm. Well, one thing I think it would be uh, remiss, and I'll try to keep it short. I know I can go on. But... No worries. That's okay. Take your time. Uh, one thing that I would want to touch on as a kind of closing statement would be that a lot of these... Uh, a lot of these visuals that lie outside of a binary are associated with obviously with queerness and with um, like gender non-confirmation, but a lot of these aesthetics are also born out of a wide variety of minorities. So this is, these are like a lot of things that may be considered like bad taste to like an upper class is things that reflect a lot of very not white aesthetic tastes or aesthetic conventions of like bright colors, like bold prints, and like a lot of storytelling through garments and through and through the prints that are on them. And, you know, the minorities always have kind of had to bond together against the powers that be. And so there's kind of this association of like tackiness as being associated with like queer aesthetics and with non-white aesthetics are, are dubbed tacky often. So, uh, Next time you're looking at something and maybe you think that's really tacky, that's really garish, um, right? Think, oh wait, why? Why do I think that? Why is that? Why is that the convention? And um, Susan Sontag's notes on camp obviously has a lot of really wonderful things mm-hmm. to say about tackiness and taste and that sort of thing. So, you know, I would encourage anyone listening to to read notes on camp and to read other works by, you know, just exploring like. Why, why do we, why do we even have these conventions? What, what purpose are they serving? And it's, it's usually to uphold some sort of enforcement and, and subduing of, of minorities. And so if you, Absolutely. you know, just go for it, right? Because the things that are making you think it's bad taste anyways, are usually stupid institutions anyway. So just send it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, we exactly. like to take these things, but then remove any trace of like, the racialized people that brought them like mm-hmm. you know right now like big butts are in right but you know only if you're white or like there was the big thing with um I think it was Comme des Garçons a couple of years ago before the pandemic with like their cornrow wigs mm. on white models um and just things like that are like yeah you see these beautiful bright colors and bold prints and you're like who do these look good on it's like well not you pasty <laughs> 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 it's for that beautiful deep skit that we stole it from um yeah so I think that was a really excellent point so thank you for pointing that out um and Shelton did Paige explain queer joy to you um no but I I, I listened to a couple episodes and I think I (gasps) I got the hang of it yeah oh my god do you want to go first (laughs) okay um Mine's a little bit of a humble brag, but today's queer okay. joy is I dropped off my first batch of uh, garments for sale that I have made at a local oh shop. So that's a big joy for me today. I'm really happy. That's so exciting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. 
absolutely amazing. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) That's yeah, that is so, so cool. Um, I'm (laughs) glad that that is happening for you. Yeah. I made today an excellent day. I'm doing this. It's all very relevant. They're all connected. Awesome. Oh yeah. How about you guys? My my career joy, I already told Paige about this this morning, but I got to see Eliza Schlesinger this weekend. Um, she's one of my favorite comedians. So nice. that was really cool. I made my mom come with me because I didn't have anybody to go with it. Like <laughs> at the time I bought the tickets, right? Because it was like two years ago. And like, she even opened with a joke. She's like, some of you bought tickets for relationships that you aren't even in anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was really, really great. That was a really fun night. Awesome. Um, how about you, Paige? Nice. Um, I think my career joy was just the fact that we got to sit down with my little brother today, like (laughs) talking fashion and queerness and, you know, just all of that good stuff. And doing that with somebody that you love is always extra cool. Um, So yeah, that's my queer joy. Amazing. Well, thank you, Shelton, for joining us. And thank you, everybody, for listening or watching or whoever you consume this. Um, Be kind to yourself and others. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye, everyone.